Uh, I hope uh, my presentation is visible. Uh, in a slideshow format. Professor Shraddha, is it? Yes, it's visible. Just shift to the yeah, yeah, it's visible now. It's better now. Oops. OK, uh, I'll just. <clears throat> so the, my presentation is about mobilizing trans regional indigenous identity on cross sectional borders under the theme circulation in Maharashtra from antiquity to the present day. Uh, we already had two very interesting presentations on linguistics and the identity issues and how uh, the different uh, linguistics and um, the cultural identities lap over each other as the uh, as the historical changes happen. Uh, in this particular uh, paper, I'm going to highlight on uh, indigenous identity issue and how the geography has taken over or how the geography has defined its uh, status in different times and eras. Usually um, when we talk about the indigenous identity, we often uh, relate it with geography, but uh, this idea of geography often gets influenced by how the political borders are created and where we situate these identities in these created political borders. As a result, uh, it often happens that uh, we uh, we often don't realize that could the geography created or the political geographical uh, terrain which has been defined can overlay or interplay within the boundaries. Uh, there are certain studies. Uh, I'll go to. Oh, I'm so sorry. It doesn't place. OK. Just a second. Yeah, uh, so uh, in this particular uh, presentation, I'm going to have some key questions like indigeneity and community identities of highlands of Khandesh, but prior to this uh, uh, and also the economic care factors for uh, these created boundaries. But prior to going uh, to this idea or the context of coming to the case study or the regionality of the problem, uh, I would like to discuss a couple of questions about what we uh, understand by mobilizing trans regional indigenous identities and what are these actual cross sectional borders? Uh, there are in the post colonial narratives, there are two important uh, questions which are often coming up, um, especially in context of indigeneity and post colonial indigeneity is uh, how we understand the geographies of these indigenous ideas. There had been uh, various studies um, chanted on Chinese indigeneity or the different ethnic identities within the China or a uh, Sujit Siva uh, Sundaram did on uh, Sri Lanka and its uh, island based indigenous identities or Costa's work on Latin America or even in present context when we are talking about the Gondwana, um, um, the land and the land movement for Gondwana and Gondwana as a separate state because somehow uh, Chhattisgarh uh, doesn't does the kind of justice it was expected to do with the Gondwana identities, which situates itself in the cross-sectional areas of Maharashtra, Madhya Pradesh and uh, the uh, present Telangana and Andhra Pradesh and Orissa. So similar kind of identities uh, in the geographies often uh, question that why we create boundaries and even if we create how much justice is given to the kind of movement which takes place in those uh, regionalities. 
John in his studies talks about uh, the different uh, the linguistics and the territorial identities where in a case studies of Borneo, he says that Borneo is not an indigenous identity. It is a political indigenous identity. Similarly, Sujit Sundaram says uh, that uh, in his study of the uh, island indigenous communities of Sri Lanka, he talks about the pre-colonial narratives and the pre-colonial geographies and how these pre-colonial geographies uh, did justice to the cultural and the spatial identities of the communities. Similarly, Costa and his study uh, talks about uh, discusses about the uh, lateral distribution of the Latin American or the native native uh, uh, Latinx communities in uh, the American uh, continents. Uh, there is another aspect which comes uh, often in the discussion is the ecology of the cartography in the indigeneity and it's their processes. So uh, Barker and Prickles, um, Lisa's work in Australia and even uh, the Richard Grove's work on ecological imperialism talks about the ecologies of cartography that how the uh, uh, the defining factors of the mapping or the cartography somehow compromises the ecological potentialities of the community cultures and uh, bifurcates as per them in their economies. So these are some of the questions which often occur in how the indigenous communities of India were mapped and how they were situated in different uh, different territorial identities. Uh, we see it in terms of Uttarakhand, we see it in terms of Jharkhand, we also see it in Chhattisgarh. These three states uh, which became the primordially the indigenous states, indigenous communities, the most uh, indigenous uh, communities of India, whether it was the uh, Uttarakhand's, uh, the Garhwals and the Buxa tribes, and then you had the uh, uh, Santhals and the Munda tribes of Jharkhand or in the Chhattisgarh where Gon dominate. Yet the um, yet the situational or the when the maps were created, they did not uh, properly justified where these borders were and how these borders were working. Somehow was it because of the cultural or the uh, linguistics domination of the territory territories which they share among. For example, in Jharkhand, when uh, the Jharkhand state came up, uh, the Maithili and the Munda and the Santhali dialect couldn't get the kind of justice they were expecting because then the borders could have been taken from the Odisha, uh, the West Bengal, uh, the Bihar, of course, and UP as well as from MP as well. So were we not in a position to create a state within the cross-sectional borders? I'll give a small example of a Bundelkhand movement, which unfortunately died very soon. Uh, uh, within a span of 20-25 years because uh, it could not succeed even after the efforts of Mayavati because uh, she could not negotiate with the neighboring state of Madhya Pradesh who were not willing to share the borders for a, another state called Bundelkhand. So how do we understand and the same thing remains with the uh, Gondwana state as well, which could not get a proper situational uh, geography of the communities because the borders were not appropriately given by Odisha or uh, uh, Odisha, Maharashtra, Telangana, the present Telangana and even MP. So how this bifurcation of different states will take place in India, whether it will be linguistic, it will be guided by the linguistics or the regional politics of the states within, uh, 
or will we will we be able to create a, a tangent uh, spaces within the two different states? So we know how the Kaveri crisis in southern India is keep on dragging between Tamil Nadu and Karnataka. A similar kind of a uh, uh, political, uh, linguistic and the identity question happens in the area of Khandesh. Uh, so uh, the key questions in uh, this particular presentation is about indigeneity and community identities of highlands of Khandesh. So uh, what exactly uh, do we understand with Khandesh and when it came up and does it truly justifies uh, the territoriality between uh, among the communities which dominate this region and uh, how uh, this territorial identity translate uh, transcends language, colonial and pre-colonial regional landscape and in its community configuration. And then what is the post-colonial political administrative narrative which is confining this region to Maharashtrian identity and its territorial borders to a linguistic state? And is it possible to have a creation of an intranational border within the families and regional communities? of this region. And uh, another important question is like how Khandesh came into uh, Maharashtra and what were the economic factors which kept it as a disputed or an, perhaps it's not a disputed region as such at present, but it remained a uh, it remained actually a contested zone when actually uh, the Maharashtra, Mahagujarat and Maharashtra um, uh, Maharashtra, Sayyidh Maharashtra movements were going on. So the highlands of Tarayan of Khandesh emerged as a focal construct for economic tussle during Mughal Deccan. Uh, so the tussle which happened during Mahagujarat movement and Sayyidh Maharashtra movement were not actually limited to the uh, post-colonial uh, boundary issues, but uh, they were there uh, during the pre-colonial and even during the colonial era. So uh, Khandesh was always a bone of contention between whoever was in power, whether it was linguistics, whether it was authority or whether it was uh, the territorial um, uh, territorial grabbing of the region as well and which somehow uh, compromised the cultural weave of this region, but how it was sustained in the pre-colonial society and how in this post-colonial era we try to situate it as a problem. The region of Khandesh had its trans-regional connectivity and communicative potentiality which connected coastal highland Deccan plateau cultures and that made it somehow very important to whoever had a control over it. And simultaneously, Khandesh as a region maintained its indigenous traits while being integral part of the trans-regional cultures. This we will see as we will uh, look into the pre-colonial, colonial and post-colonial cultural dynamics of Khandesh. So um, let's. Uh, so uh, what are the ethnic and emotional geographies and trans-regional identities of Khandesh? So as you could see, this is the kind of terrain we see not only in Khandesh, but all the territories. Uh, which are uh, geographical territories and communities which are inhabiting this particular region uh, uh, share the common geography, share the common community cultures, which is determined by the kind of ecology which predominates in the region uh, and also a certain trans uh, international trans-border territories between Maharashtra, Rajasthan, Gujarat and Madhya Pradesh. Um, as you could see uh, in this particular um, map, um, which I'm sharing in the uh, uh, in the inset area of this picture. So uh, e uh, 
Khandesh, uh, if you be, uh, if you'll see the community cultures of Khandesh, uh, as per the study by PV Paranjpe, um, some of the, there are some very good studies, like right from the times of the Stephen Fuchs and uh, by Nayak and P. G. Shah, and in the contemporary writings of Kulkarni and uh, Paranjpe. We uh, get into uh, this problematic uh, of who are the indigenous communities who predominantly live in the region of Khandesh and its associated Western tribal tract right from the Sahadris till the uh, foot, uh, foothills of uh, Aravalis. And this whole region somehow have a shared community identity. So all the people right from the Baswana and Dungarpur uh, region of um, Rajasthan uh, till the Balsad and Wapi region of Gujarat and from uh, Damanandiv till the um, Jhabua and Alirajpur area of Mar uh, Madhya Pradesh and all the Bur Nandurbar, Jalgaon and uh, Dhule region of uh, the so-called Khandesh in Maharashtra have a common cultural network. They have a common cultural traits and not only from now, from the pre-Canolian times and even in the Puranic traditions, we find there is a synchronicity in their cultural practices and even in the living cultural traditions, which you'll see as I'll be explaining this uh, context. As a result, um, uh, when we look into the writings of uh, the different um, contemporary Persian records, unfortunately, as uh, Diabhai Nayag at PG Shah have also uh, uh, discussed about, and Stephen Fuchs, who did his first uh, research on um, Abhils, uh, at that particular time, we come across that uh, there is no, uh, 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 what we could say, the written documents from the community itself because they had their own cultural practices to communicate and navigate the message and uh, uh, messages and the uh, dealings of in terms of the uh, management of their territory. So it is about the emotional and ethnic geographies of their own trans-regional identity, which uh, for us is a trans-regional, but for them it was not trans-regional because Right from the uh, Rajasthan till Khandesh, there is a continuity of a linguistic dialect with a minor functionality, with a minor transition in the Bhili dialect, what we predominantly know as know it as a Bhili dialect uh, or Bhili language, which unfortunately we still don't accept it as a language. Uh, but there is a continuity in uh, the language which we, which is spoken from the Bheel community or, or the subsectional Akul or uh, their um, family, filial kinships from the Rajasthan till the uh, Dhule and from Balsad um, uh, uh, till uh, Jalgaon or Ali Rajpur and Jhabua in the uh, in the Madhya Pradesh region. So this kind of linguistic correlation in their uh, practices and also their genetic uh, of, um, like now we are trying to look at since last nine uh, last um, half a decade or so on uh, sorry half a century or so there is more emphasis on the genetic configuration of the Beel communities in Western India and how they how we understand their uh, localized or trans-regional identity in this particular sphere of Western India or South Asia. In fact, one of, uh, uh, as we could see, uh, the, uh, the sectionality of their highland cultures, uh, 
because uh, the belt of the highlands uh, which um, which goes from Sahyadri to Satpura uh, to um, uh, what you call um, Satpura to Aravali and then the sectionality of it which goes from the run of Kutch. Uh, it actually goes till um, the um, Pakistan area. So uh, the bheels which are found or the fee, the bheels who are identifies, uh, identified as indigenous communities in the Pakistan area also share these similar cultural traits and therefore there is a kind of a solidarity which is being uh, is emerging uh, since the times of post-colonial geographic linguistic um, cultural spaces being created. So um, uh, I'll come to now Khandesh. So uh, when we see in Khan, uh, when we see the Maharashtra and its India indigenous communities somehow while the linguistic uh, furore of creating a state was so high that many a times uh, when the boundaries were created, the transnational and the transregional impact of Maharashtrian identity uh, was uh, and its uh, dialectic variation was not taken into, perhaps was not, I'm, I may be making a big statement here, was not taken into consideration. Therefore, uh, the Gond and the Bheel identity, which actually remains like two different sections of the indigenous, uh, the, uh, the like uh, ancient, like I won't say because Indians claim everybody is indigenous. So these are the two communities which are uh, supposed to be one of the most um, um, anthropologically uh, the most ancient indigenous communities of India and perhaps they are the one who actually give the essential elements to what we call as Indian identity. So we find uh, so the all the uh, indigenous and the um, nature worshipping practices which we uh, call uh, as Indian uh, so-called Indian practices somehow have their roots in the practices of the indigenous communities of India per, uh, per se Bheel community from the Western India and the Gon community in the Central India. Uh, so when we created these spaces for these indigenous communities in um, uh, so this particular section actually goes to Gon, one of the subsections of Gon and I hope my cursor is visible. So when I'm trying to show because I don't have a highlighter here. So uh, the yellow section of the eastern uh, western part of Maharashtra uh, belongs to the Bheel and the Varli community. Varli of course belongs to the coastal indigenous communities. On the contrary, uh, the Khandesh tribes, uh, the Khandesh indigenous are a part of that particular, uh, this particular larger network of the Bheel identity. And this is somehow, uh, this uh, broadly connects them with the cross-sectional linguistic identities uh, within Gujarat, Maharashtra and Rajasthan as well. Uh, these are some of the statistics which I took from the uh, tribal uh, data of Maharashtra. Uh, another important aspect is when uh, the demography of Bheel is identified. So uh, predominantly uh, we find Paura and uh, Padvi Bheels living in Nandurbar. But it's interesting that even Dungri Garasias, Mevasi Bheel, Raval Bheel, uh, Tadvi Bheel and even uh, the Dhodi Bheel are included in the uh, demographic uh, scheduled tribe beneficiaries in Maharashtra. Uh, it definitely goes because you we have there is an intercultural um, interregional cultural context to it and um, a lot of Bheel uh, coming from Khandesh even though they uh, use the surname of 
Padvi or Pavras. Uh, they have an intermarital alliances and exogamy with the uh, Garasia Bhil and the Mevasi Bhil, which predominantly go to uh, the Madhya Pradesh and the Rajasthan area. As a result, uh, perhaps because of the in, uh, interference of uh, the people like Govindgari, who himself belonged to Khandesh area and belonged to one of the community indigenous communities of this region. This concept or this particular component was included in the scheduled tribes uh, beneficiaries quotas. So uh, these are uh, so when we talk about Khandesh, it had its own uh, intercultural uh, network. So in Persian and Mughal records, uh, we find that uh, the region uh, never tried to, even though Brit uh, Mughals had a control over Burhanpur as the seat for Khandesh Suba uh, or the part of the Deccan Suba of uh, Southern uh, uh, in the Mughal Empire, uh, there was a kind of an autonomy which was imparted to the uh, tribal or the uh, Bheel community of this region. So we find that Taloda, Shahada and uh, in Nandurbar area and also in the uh, in the uh, what we could say, uh, the Khandesh area was uh, where it actually uh, uh, cut across the borders of uh, Gujarat. In those areas also, wherever the Bheel and uh, especially when uh, we'll, I'll discuss about the case study of Dang, we find uh, they allowed the uh, tribals to retain, uh, the Bheel community to retain their autonomy because they were the major, uh, uh, they were the major protectors and service product providers of the trade route. And we know how valuable Burhanpur was with the Surat Burhanpur route. Uh, when the trade was uh, in peak in the Mughal Empire. Uh, similarly, uh, as you could see, this is like a, uh, just for the um, like to know a little bit about the geography and the linguistics. So according to the Risley studies, uh, he uh, claims that um, uh, whatever dialect or language used by Beals is part of the Indo-Aryan language group. Uh, on the contrary, uh, the kind of the terrain which was used by them had an uphill region where these communities cross sectionally was traveling and controlling the autonomous region of their uh, authoritative zones as well. So uh, I'll just uh, quote uh, one like uh, this is like how Risley says that Indo-Aryan language groups, uh, a central group has Western, Hindi and Punjabi, Rajasthani and Gujarati, and he exclusively mentions about part three Indo-Aryan language, which is Bheel languages and Khandeshi. Because he's mentioning Khandesh, because uh, as we know, Khandesh was an exclusive area where he, uh, Britishers con uh, controlled uh, the um, authoritative networks of the Bheel communities, against which we have a whole lot of studies on how they uh, retaliated against the British control. Uh, so uh, it has been found, uh, as uh, he quotes, it has been found necessary to divide volume nine into four instead of three parts because owing to the fact that to have included the Bheel language in the part devoted to Rajasthani and Gujarati would have made the third part too availed in size. Uh, it definitely goes because um, uh, we don't have the written text, but we do have the uh, diversity uh, and exclusivity of the Bheel and the Khandeshi dialects within them, which required them to have their own uh, textual and the grammarian context and uh, uh, for which uh, the Christian missionaries contributed a lot, but that becomes uh, a different study on its own. Uh, so uh, this is how we see uh, on the at the same time we find that there is a collateral interconnected tradition. So right from the um, 
uh, northern parts. So we have the Revakata agencies, the Khandesh agencies. So these are all the connected agencies which remain under control of the British uh, times. So when um, uh, the Britishers, uh, for, uh, when pre-Mughal, uh, sorry, pre-colonial times, there was an autonomy given to all these Bheel um, highland communities. Britishers also maintained a kind of an um, uh, a distant kind of a, a relationship which was of control and yet of an autonomy. Therefore, most of the territories which were governed or the um, or were managed by the tribal communities or were uh, had their own autonomous control, they remain part of the agency uh, territories. I'll quickly come because I'm running out of time. So what we find uh, that uh, the dispute began when the Britishers, left, of course, mm -hmm. left India. And uh, uh, there was uh, this uh, Sayukta Maharashtra and Mahagujarat movement. And um, by the time of uh, the uh, um, autonomy or the uh, civilizing movement of British uh, of uh, indigenous community it has already started. So we find Christian missionaries were already penetrating. Uh, they were already there in most of the tribal belts, so-called tribal belt. And then we uh, find uh, the um, Gandhians entering in these all parts of um, uh, Maharashtra and Gujarat and MP and everywhere. And it's very interesting to know that uh, wherever Gandhians were there, whether they were in uh, Rajasthan or Maharashtra or in Gujarat or in MP, they all uh, uh, backed the uh, regional linguistic movement. So, for example, when uh, the, um, the Gandhian movement who were working among the uh, indigenous communities of Khandesh, they uh, stood for the Khandesh to be included in Maharashtri or Marathi dominated region. And on the contrary, uh, we see as in, um, I'll show, uh, yeah. So uh, in uh, this is a very funny uh, <laughs> map which I got from the present. Uh, it I got it from Reddit actually, but it, it talks about heavenly confederacy. I'm just as closer, closer to this debate uh, or this narration. Uh, it talks about the um, uh, heavenly confederacy of Maharashtra and how we can create uh, the uh, different uh, linguistics uh, um, patterns within the Maharashtra. So we cannot call it. Of course, it cannot be taken as a scholarly kind of, but I found it interesting to just look into it. On the contrary, uh, the same uh, when linguistic limits of Mahagujarat movement were going on. At that time, a whole debate stood up for um, the uh, portions of Taluda, Nandurbar and Nawapur Talukos of Khandesh, where the language spoken is Khandeshi. Uh, it's a quote from there. Uh, otherwise known as Dhed Gujari, which is a dialect of Gujarati. So uh, this is how even like um, there was a movement uh, initiated and uh, even though they could not get, uh, Gujarat could not get the whole Khandesh, but they could manage to get Dang. So uh, again, Dang got separated from its uh, cultural uh, wider identity of Bhil. And uh, so we find uh, a different crux of a problem. Now we find an, uh, um, a wider movement, which is again uh, becoming like now we have 28th Adivasi Sanskritic Ekta Mahasamilan, which actually took place in Mad Jabua, Madhya Pradesh. And uh, people from all different parts of these Bheel, um, diverse Bheel territorially came up and uh, fought for their rights or fought for their so, um, uh, intranational uh, trans region regional identity. Uh, so this is something uh, which is still in the work and actually while I was doing my PhD since that time, I have seen it growing uh, in last two decades and it's very interesting for me to see how the 
trans regionality is working for the regional one uni um, unisectional regional identity in this. So thank you for uh, listening patiently. And uh, now I come back to the presentation. OK, so. Uh, I, I'll just uh, stop sharing and uh, we can begin yeah. with. Yeah. Um, um, there are, there are, are comments. Mm -hmm. One is, One is uh, from uh, Nazir Pakhan mm -hmm. in Marathi. Okay. Okay, I cannot read. Yeah, yeah. He's Marathi Sahitya. Marathi Sahitya. Povade Launi Yasarkha. Paramparik Kala Prakara Sarkha. Ek Kala Prakar Khandeshata hai. To manje Vahi Gayan. He Vahi Gayan. Aplya model madhe samavishta ho shakte ka. Uh, and then uh, he has also privately um, written to me that this might be more relevant for Sachin Ketkar's uh, yeah, yeah, presentation that's right. because that's right. So that's if right. you want to take it, <laughs> or uh, I think okay. the discussion was actually for Professor Ketkar, but I, uh, you know, because uh, uh, it's very unfortunate that we have still not uh, worked on the different. Uh, cultural uh, representation. Actually, I could not discuss about Dev Mogra Mata right now. Uh, it was there in my slide, but I was already looking at my time slot and was running to high. So uh, we have yet to look into the cross-sectional uh, correlation between the different um, practices. The best uh, I recently witnessed the, the Holy Mahotsav, Holy Son of Khandesh, and it was so fascinating. And uh, unfortunately, we yet don't have an ethnographic uh, anthropological uh, studious study on it uh, and it needs to be studied with their um, with the perception the way Bheel community of that region identifies itself and it's so interesting that uh, they have an um, linearity in their practice uh, whether it is in uh, Khandesh or it is in uh, Chota Udaipur or it is in Baswada. So how this works, uh, so this need to be understood more uh, than actually imposing the, you know, the uh, mainstream linguistic identities. Uh, yeah, any okay. um, then a comment from Professor Sumit Kuha, uh, who says I would like to remind everyone that no one is indigenous except people in yeah, East definitely. Africa. <laughs> I agree, Professor Guha, uh, because uh, the uh, you know the whole con, but we we cannot erase it from public consciousness. You know, uh, I just um, uh, shared with you the last slide. Yeah, can you just say go to that two million people coming in Jabua and say you are not indigenous? <laughs> the next day I will be killed. <laughs> so uh, the question is like how public. Uh, a perception of indigeneity is coming up. Uh, perhaps none, even perhaps even African people cannot call themselves an indigenous. If we'll go to the paleontological anthropological uh, norms. So who is indigenous itself is a big debate, but uh, how public perception is coming up about it and how, uh, for example, like uh, Professor Goha is in Texas and how Native American identity is so women. <laughs> so uh, how can we debate and, and how we understand it with the, uh, you know, public perception of indigeneity that we need to uh, look into rather than claiming who is indigenous and who is not. So uh, yeah. yeah, I think these are uh, the two questions. Mm -hmm. That's all right. No, there's one more from Rahul Magar who asks um, how and to what extent these trans-regional identities adopt or sustain in medieval Khandesh at crossroads? 
Oh, it was very much there because you know um, uh, I couldn't discuss it much in my presentation, but uh, um, even in like Ayn Ekbury and Abul Fazal's and Persian accounts, it was very much there. They were very cautious. Even in the Maratha and Peshwa um, administration, it was uh, taken into account that there should not be unnecessarily conflicts with these trans-regional networks of the indigenous communities living on the highlands because uh, it was very difficult to challenge their uh, authority on the highlands and they had to do the trade. So because uh, it, it's only when Britishers come and they start developing the road network, uh, railway network, then uh, there is the dependency on Burhanpur declines and that is the, actually the reason uh, that Burhanpur becomes almost like a uh, uh, place of abundance because we don't find any uh, takers for them because railway networks were so good. So uh, it was uh, uh, and we know how Maharana Pratap, but I don't want to go for those illogical and panegyrics of historiography, but we have to understand that this whole even Sayajira Rao Gaikwad, he was very clear about it. Uh, so even in the po uh, colonial narrative, uh, when Gaikwad papers were done, uh, they were very uh, clear that how much territory they have to adopt and how much they have to leave to the indigenous or the Bhil community of that region. And that uh, very much is evident in the writings of Skaria and uh, um, um, so, um, David Hardiman, if you could uh, refer to. Yeah, and one more from uh, Prachi Gurzarpadhye, who says, thank you for this wonderful paper. Uh, you passingly mentioned that the geography of pre-colonial and colonial Khandesh would also extend inside the border of Pakistan. Could you please elaborate on that? No, I'm not saying Khandesh can go to Pakistan. I'm not saying. Bina, The question is not complete as yet. Okay. Uh, is any collaborative research being done on mapping this cultural overlap? Yeah, okay. go ahead. Yeah, I'm not saying Khandesh is going up to, uh, uh, up to uh, Pakistan. Uh, you have to be. I didn't say uh, if I have said it must be a mistake. It's not. I'm saying that the Bheel cross-cultural identity, you know, uh, so it actually goes to all the highlands in the Western India. So it's Aravalis, uh, it's the highland and plateau regions of the Western part. So you have the, some of the Thar desert uh, nexus. And because a very important part is that Bheels were actually part of the uh, mercenary, um, uh, not mercenary, actually they were the allied military powers also. So, uh, for example, uh, like Chittor always used them and similarly many of the uh, Rajasthan states use them uh, and they had a, uh, because of the trade connections, their connections. It actually needs more viable studies. I think there is a study by um, I'm forgetting and I'm Rizwana or something. Her name is there. I may share it with later on uh, and then I'm mainly talking from Aravali till Khandesh. Uh, so uh, Aravali, Vindhyas, Satpuras and Sahyadris. This is the whole channel of the highlands and how in these highlands the communities are interacting and developing a transcultural network. So that need to be understood in that context and uh, this study has already been done by Kulkarni uh, in two, 2011. Um, we can discuss about it further. Okay, any questions from the panelists? Uh, while they may uh, think up about something, uh, Bina, uh, yeah. would you like to say something about uh, Briggs in Khandesh? 
ियरीज so be, coming up of bheel cops uh, um, through uh, colonel outram and then elphinstone and briggs coming up in between <coughs> there is a good study by uh, hs simcox also about the bheel cops so uh, there was uh, actually i'm working on another paper on that that how the land rights were um, compromised and the whole uh, texture of uh, the uh, tribal autonomy was dislocated with the formation of the khandesh because khandesh was not an agency it was properly a, um, a british controlled territory unlike what we have the agencies in revakatha and sabarkatha regions in gujarat so uh, how uh, and definitely it has to do uh, i'm still working on my perhaps i'll be working with dains and professors guha's work as well for that uh, because how they control the economy of the region and then uh, the burhanpur declines and you come up with the pune and bombay hub which was never a metropolis in those times except because of the peshwas because they had pune but coming up of bombay has to do a lot with the decline of khandesh in burhanpur which of course stewart gordon also speaks about um one more question from christian uh, he says um, to what degree do we have to understand adivasi and indigeneity in relationship to various state formations such as indian federalism is there a fundamental inability of the modern state and its reliance on colonial forms to make political sense of a community like the bills i'm really glad you asked this question christian because um, uh, if you know uh, there is one of the person um, who has worked on santhal i recently communicated with him um <clears throat> uh, the trouble with indian state formation is that indigeneity was never taken into consideration except in northeast uh, northeast because in nefa northeast frontier agency was uh, um uh, nefa was very strongly built around the idea of indigeneity and the autonomy which was given to nefa uh, during the british empire was more clear in understanding Uh, what we find in the other parts of india it was more of an assimilation kind of an perspective therefore state formation was least bothered about it and therefore mm-hmm. like we had this whole thakkar baba and alvin debate and ultimately alvin had to settle in nagaland or in meghalaya rather than being in west in india because it was completely the baba um, thakkar baba as um, prejorative that he decided that how the rest of india will control its agency areas and therefore state formation was determinedly functioned around the linguistic identities and never the regional cultural identity which always were having the uh, multilingual approach in their uh, functionality per se varlis they speak gujarati varli and marathi with equal um, pencha on the way any other language uh, community speaks so uh, calling uh, like making any indian state as unilingual or singular single linguistic zone is one of the most uh, i i would i i feel it's one of the most um, complex way of dividing indian states you know because uh, as an indian we know that none of us are yeah, single uh, language speakers 
we all know one or two languages and uh, we we are like we, we that's why we speak so many languages even in one sentence you know because we we have been our mental makeup is like that so having one linguistic state and creating idea around it is has remained a big challenge in creating adivasi or indigenous identities in india and it has actually restrained them also uh, to create their own spaces and that's why we have uttarakhand and that's what i discussed about that's why like there is no justice given to any of these indigenous states either or like tribal states which we created in mm. india um and the last quick one uh, while we have one more minute uh, professor sumit guha says the early british also created a gatwali tenure where chiefs uh, that is bills and others were mm. paid to keep the passes secure gatwali mm -hmm. the mughals had the same category whom yes. they called uh, girasia english grasia that's right that's right thank you professor guha for adding on this uh, because that shows that how much autonomy of these uh, highland people were respected and uh, therefore um, thank you professor guha i would definitely work further on it and uh, i hope to share more things with you <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs>